only thing we have to fear is in war. Fear there is no substitute for victory. Let us never negotiate out of fear. We stand undivided, forever united, fighting hand in hand for the liberty we burn, for glory and honor, for our sons and daughters, ever mindful of the lessons we've learned. Let the torch of freedom burn. Welcome to the intersection of faith and politics. This is Wall Builders Live with David Barton and Rick Green. Our websites, wallbuilders.com, wallbuilderslive.com, and today we're going to give you a third one, constitutionallive.com. There at constitutionallive.com, you'll find out about the program you're going to hear today. And if you were listening yesterday, that you heard yesterday, for the rest of the week, actually. It's a four part series. We're sharing with you free of charge section two out of Constitutional Live with David Barton and Rick Green. This is the section where we talk about the seeds of liberty. We lay the foundation for our Constitution and our Declaration, so that then later in the program of Constitutional Live, we can dive into those specific clauses and sections of the Constitution, and it'll make sense why they did what they did and how to properly apply the Constitution today. If you're not familiar with Constitutional Live, it's a program where David Barton and I go back to the origins of the Constitution out in Philadelphia at Independence Hall, in the very room where it took place, and then also in the Wall Builders Library, where David pulls those documents off the shelf and shares them with you there in the video. But we want to share it with you free of charge here to our Wall Builders Live listeners. Today is part two of a four-part, or four programs, if you will, four-part series that'll share this entire chapter out of Constitutional Live. Let's pick up right where we left off with Constitutional Live with David Barton and Rick Green. But if Rodney doesn't get back by the time we take the vote again, independence is going to fail. So he sends a dispatch back to Delaware, tells him, find Caesar Rodney, tell Rodney to get back here. we got to have him or independence fails. Rodney gets the message, gets on his horse, takes off, rides all night long. Now, this is 80 miles, right? 80 miles from Delaware back. Now, 80 miles, I know for us that doesn't sound like much, right? I mean, I mean today, 80 miles is, you know, if, if my wife's driving, that's 30 minutes or so. That's just not going to... Take that long, but, 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 but back then, 80 miles on horseback at night. Rodney had cancer of the face. He's hidden branches. It's a painful experience. Rodney gets here, busts through those doors just in time to cast a tie-breaking vote for Delaware. Delaware goes from being a 1-1 tie to being 2-1 to one for independence. And In fact, Caesar Rodney's pen, the actual quill that he used is sitting right there on that desk. That's the pen that he used to sign the Declaration of Independence. Well, you say, okay, fine, Rick, that's Rodney. That takes care of Delaware. And by the way, if you, I don't know if you collect the, the quarters from each state, but if you get the one from Delaware, on the back of that quarter, they chose to put Caesar Rodney. Why? Because of his midnight ride to save independence. So that takes care of Delaware. What about Pennsylvania? Well, Pennsylvania had, had initially been four of them against independence, three of them for independence. So that means that we lose. This happens in politics all the time. When the opposition is not in the room, take the vote, man. Get the vote done before they get back. Well, that's kind of what happened. Two of your guys against independence. They either left. We don't know for sure if they left or they just said, we're staying silent and decided not to vote. But Pennsylvania went from being four to three against independence to being three to two for independence. South Carolina completely flipped their entire vote. And there you have it. That's how close we were to not getting our independence. I, I don't know about you. I'm not a a huge fan of the HBO special on John Adams. I loved the first two episodes, but later I just felt like they, they portrayed him as just 
I don't know, just kind of like a sourpuss, really. I mean, he's always jealous of Washington. He doesn't care about his kids. They never talked about his faith. I mean, I just didn't like the way they ended up uh, uh, portraying it later on. But in those first two episodes, when they portrayed what happened in here, they really captured it, I think. They, they, they captured how, how close these guys were, and you saw kind of the wrangling back and forth and the negotiating and, the, and trying to convince each other of what to do. And it did, did show, I think, accurately that, that John Adams was really the force behind the whole thing. I mean, without him, we would have never had independence. Have you ever wanted to learn more about the United States Constitution, but just felt like, man, the classes are boring, or it's just that old language from 200 years ago, or I don't know where to start? People want to know, but it gets frustrating because you don't know where to look for truth about the Constitution either. Well, we've got a special program for you available now called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green, and it's actually a teaching done on the Constitution at Independence Hall in the very room where the Constitution was framed. We take you both to Philadelphia, the Cradle of Liberty and Independence Hall, and to the Wall Builders Library, where David Barton brings the history to life to teach the original intent of our founding fathers. We call it the Quick Start Guide to the Constitution because in just a few hours through these videos, you will learn the Citizen's Guide to America's Constitution. You'll learn what you need to do to help save our constitutional republic. It's fun, it's entertaining, and it's gonna inspire you to do your part to preserve freedom for future generations. It's called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green. You can find out more information on our website now at wallbuilders.com. We were very close not to having independence and, and not only was independence itself really miraculous in the way that things came together but the revolutionary war itself throughout the war you know washington and others talked about how the wind came up at just the right time the fog came in at just the right time over and over and over again they said divine providence intervened on behalf of the americans so they brought to life the words of the declaration they, they, they managed to free a nation and then George Mason gave us sort of a challenge. And Mason, of course, was in here for the Constitution. He, he was one of the 55 that framed the Constitution, not one of the 39 to sign. And I bet somebody in this room could tell me, well, what was his objection once they finished the Constitution? Why did he say, I'm not signing? Help me out. Yes, that's exactly right. The Bill of Rights. No Bill of Rights. He wanted those guarantees, those individual protections. There's actually three of the guys that refused to sign for that very reason. And he actually is known today as the father of the Bill of Rights. So, so Mason, though, he gave us a great warning. So here he is, champion of the, of the Bill of Rights. He, he gave us a great warning about our freedoms that these guys put in place. He said, no free government nor the blessings of liberty can be preserved to any people but by a frequent recurrence to fundamental principles. And now to me, that means you can't just learn it once. You got to constantly come back and remind yourself what are the principles that made us, made us great. And so that's, again, what we're doing. We're going back to these founding documents for that frequent recurrence to those principles. What were the ideas these guys put in place? I call the Declaration of Independence, or at least the first two paragraphs, the frame of America. In, 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 in my mind, in my way of thinking, those were the principles. If you go to that heart of the Declaration, you'll find the frame for our picture, and you might have a different picture that you would throw up on the screen here, but if you could picture freedom, if you could take some picture of your family or your, 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 your schools or your community or your churches, whatever it might be, and put that picture inside the frame of America, know this, 
If that frame goes, then your picture's going with it. My picture's going with it. That, that frame is what's holding it all together. That those principles they put in place, that's why we're free. And if we lose that frame, if we allow that frame to be destroyed or transformed or changed into something that they didn't give us, then we're going to lose the picture. We're going to have a very different America than we were given. So it's important for us to remember the frame and remember what the principles are in the Declaration of Independence. And, and I, I'm going to actually ask for a little bit of help here tonight. I'm going to get uh, one of my sons to come up and share with us those principles out of the Declaration of Independence. He's going to share with you the first two paragraphs, and then he's going to describe what those precious 56 words in the second paragraph, what they really mean and what they gave us in America. So y'all help me welcome Rhett Green. He's going to come up and join us. Come on up, buddy. Come on in. He's even more nervous about crossing this rail than I was. So, all right, Rhett, let's come right back here. There's your spot. Now, you're, you are standing in the very spot where the guys that wrote the language that you're about to share with us, where they debated it, where they came up with it, where they adopted it. So this is a pretty historic occasion. I want you to share the, the first paragraph where Jefferson actually is telling us, hey, here's why we're going to tell the whole world what we're doing, and then the 56 words, and then give us a little description of those 56 words. Go ahead, buddy. When the course of human events becomes necessary for one people to resolve the political band which I connected them to another, to assume the powers of the earth, a separate and equal station to show laws of nature and nature's God entitles them. A disrespected opinion of mankind acquires that they should clear the causes that impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain able rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men drawing their just power to the consent of the governed. In the words of the Declaration, there are four basic principles that make up the frame of America. First, the Founding Fathers began with the basic idea that truth is real, it is obvious, and it does not change. Second, they made it clear that God is a source of freedom. Like the Declaration says, our eyes don't come from any elected or appointed officials, they come from God Almighty. Third, the just powers of government can only come from the consent of the government. That's you and me. The word consent is used three times in the Declaration and 11 times in the Constitution. Obviously, our founding fathers didn't want the government's use of power without our consent. They wanted us to always remember the government's use of power without our consent is tyranny. Now, last out of the frame is the pursuit of happiness. This is the free enterprise system that made America the most successful nation in history. Thomas Jefferson once said, A wise and frugal government that shall lead men free to regulate their own pursuit and industry improvement and shall not take from the mouthful labor bread it has earned. This is a sum of good government. Now let's all do our part to preserve those four principles.
Hey guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not, not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? What is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story. Starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln, we tell the story of America not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story. All right, our, our nine-year-old scholar on the Declaration of Independence. We've got to do something about these shy, poorly socialized homeschoolers, I guess. I'm not. Uh, anyway, okay, so I'm just going to touch on one quick thing about each of those things that, that, uh, that uh, Rhett was just sharing with you because, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's obvious sometimes when we say it today, truths, that we forget what these guys were comparing that to around the world. In other words, when we say truths today, we mean obviously moral absolutes, a, a right and wrong, that there is a right and wrong. It's always right to do right. It's always wrong to do wrong. Put yourself back in, in their shoes and in, in their day and what those words meant. For instance, George Washington put it this way. He said, of all the habits and dispositions which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. So, so he's saying that if you're going to have a formula that works, if you're going to have a nation that's successful, of all the pieces of that formula that you put in there, you've got to have religion and morality. And without those two, it's just not going to work. And a lot of my friends are always saying, well, Rick, man, I'm into liberty. You know, I, I'm into freedom, but don't mention God. You know, don't, don't, don't bring the Bible into this. Don't do anything. You know, they, they don't want any of that. They say, hey, I can be a patriot without that. Now I say, well, yeah, that's probably true. But, but George Washington would have disagreed. Washington actually said, in vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism that would work to subvert or labor to su subvert these great pillars. What pillars? Religion and morality. Why is he saying that? Because when he's giving that speech, he's watching the French Revolution take place. So, so see, the American Revolution was, was based on the idea of right and wrong and, and, and freedom or liberty under God, liberty with God. The, the French Revolution was the opposite. The French Revolution was liberty without God. It, it was all about everybody do whatever's right in their own eyes. It's just two different philosophies. Theirs led to chaos. It led to the guillotine. It, it, it led to destruction. Ours led to the greatest nation in the history of the world. So there was something special about our formula. And Washington was saying, you can't have liberty without morality. You can't have morality without religion. You've got to keep those things in who you are, that, that God's at the center of our equation of freedom. So as we work to preserve freedom, or as some today say, like Jefferson, you know that you need a good revolution. In our situation, we just need a freedom revolution. We just need more actions by our citizens, just participating, voting, being a part of the process. We don't have to revolt with bullets. We get to revolt with ballots. What a wonderful system. These guys laid their lives on the line, so we wouldn't have to do it that way. So we want revolution. Yes, no question about it. Constantly having a revolution of freedom in our nation. Here's the deal, though. We don't want the French kind, okay? <laughs> so we don't want to try freedom without God. We want to make sure it's freedom, recognizing there's something bigger than us, that I'm not the end-all, be-all. You're not the end-all, be-all. 
Uh, I mentioned on the break, my, my friend Zig Ziglar. Zig told me one time, he said, Rick, I know three things. I know there is a God. I know I'm not him, and neither are you. <laughs> Thought I was getting a little too big for my britches, I guess. But, but so we need to remember that, right? We need to re remember that we're not the end-all, be-all. And, and that's, I think, what these guys were saying. It wasn't that you had to worship the same way I do or, or, or be of the same faith that I was, but it was a recognition that there is a creator in this equation of freedom. And that's why I think Jefferson had those important words in the Declaration, that we are, in fact, endowed by our creator, not by our commissioner or our president or our government, but we're endowed by our creator. And that was a distinction, really. I think, I think what Jefferson was trying to say there was, hey, we're not going to be like Europe. Every, every, or anywhere else on the planet. Because if you were, were, again, back in their shoes, if you went back to their day, when these guys came in this room in 1776 and, and adopted this declaration, every model of government around the planet was different from what they were putting forth. Every model of government on the, the whole planet looked kind of like this. It said that power and freedom comes from God, but it goes to the king, it goes to the, to the monarch, and then the monarch decides how much freedom we the people get. So, so everything in our life really depended upon our relationship to the king. If you didn't have a good relationship, you didn't have much at all. These guys in this room did something nobody had ever done. They, they flipped that on its head. They totally turned that around, and they said, no, no, we believe freedom comes from God, no doubt. That's the source of our rights and our source of freedom. But we believe that that freedom from God goes directly to the people. And then we, the people, we give power to government only as we see fit, just like Rhett was saying consent of the governed. The only just powers of government come from the consent of the governed. So what, what Jefferson and these guys put in place was a system that says there's freedom granted by God, there's rights granted, and it goes directly to us, and then we give power to government only for one reason, to protect and secure the freedom that God gave us. So that creates a totally different, different atmosphere because if these guys didn't give us our freedom, if government didn't give us our freedom, government can't take it away. If your neighbor is not the one that gave you freedom, then your neighbor can't take it away. See, I love the fact that these guys said there's equal protection for all because it comes from a higher source. And if we take that piece of the puzzle out of the equation, we have no true freedom. We've got to keep that piece in. So let's not forget that. And let's make sure that it's liberty under God, not liberty without God. And that didn't change with the Constitution. I mean, that was the philosophy behind the Declaration for sure. But even when they came in and did the Constitution itself, could you imagine the things these guys were fighting about? I mean, they pretty much gave up about five weeks into this thing. And here they were debating over, okay, we throw the Articles of Confederation out, we start over, how are we going to sell that to the American people? Uh, big state versus small state, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, finally, people start coming with their plans. They can't seem to find a plan they really agree on. Slavery and the Three-Fifths Compromise, they fought about that for a while. And, and, and I always thought when I read that, that a Three-Fifths Compromise, that, that the Three-Fifths Compromise language was, was devaluing a human being. That was saying that person was only worth three-fifths of a person. And then I read this guy, Frederick Douglass. I don't know if you've read much of Frederick Douglass. Great abolitionist. Amazing guy. I mean, you talk about somebody that God used in a mighty way. I mean, an incredible guy. Read Frederick Douglass. And Douglass said he thought the same thing. He said, that's devaluing me as a, as a black man. He said, I don't like that. Then he went and he read the debates that took place right here in this room. And he said, when I read those debates, I figured out, no. That was actually the northern states punishing the southern states and saying, hey, if you're going to keep slavery, we're going to decrease your representation in Congress. You're not going to get as many members of Congress as long as you've got slavery. Now, once you get rid of slavery and you free everybody, you let everybody vote, you let everybody participate, you let everybody have freedom, you'll get the same amount of representation in Congress that we have. That's what that was all about. But, man, they went back and forth, talked about property and what it meant 
and you really had some, some strong anti-slavery guys in here trying to end slavery from the beginning. Obviously, we didn't accomplish that, and it took a hundred years and a lot of bloodshed to get it right. But a lot of these guys were on the right side of that argument from day one. So anyway, you had all these fights going on. You get about five weeks in, and people started leaving. They just started giving up. Say, it's just not gonna happen. We're not gonna reach an agreement. And so people started leaving. This is David Barton with another moment from America's history. In the case Lee versus Wiseman, the Supreme Court ruled that for an adult to mention the word God at a public graduation constituted both psychological and religious coercion against the students. Yet consider the actions of William Samuel Johnson, a signer of the Constitution and one of America's leading educators who served as the first president of Columbia College. At his graduation exercises, William Samuel Johnson declared to the students, you this day have received a public education, the purpose whereof hath been to qualify you better to serve your creator and your country. Your first great duties, you are sensible, are those you owe to heaven, to your creator and redeemer. Founding Father William Samuel Johnson believed that a public graduation was an appropriate setting to remind students of the duties which they owed God. For more information on God's hand in American history, contact Wall Builders at 1-800-8-REBUILD. This man right here gets up to save the day. Benjamin Franklin, who sat right here by where I'm talking, the, the, the sage, the, 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 the wise man of the convention. He was 81, 81 when he sat there during those constitutional debates. And I, I have trouble even wrapping my head around that. I mean, I used to think 81 was old. I don't, I don't think that anymore. It's getting younger and younger. Um, in fact, I was with a congressman doing an event a while back and he had just turned 81. He, he was my congressman when I was growing up. I mean, when I went to high school, he was, he was my congressman. He's still in Congress, so he's been there a little while. Uh, but he had just turned 81 before this event that we were doing, just a week or two before. And so he gets up there to introduce me after he does his thing. And he says, Rick, he said, I bet you think 81's old. He said, let me tell you something. I just turned 81 last week. And he said, I went to Senator Strom Thurmond's 100-year birthday party. He said, at that party, Thurmond looked over at me and said, oh, to be 80 again. <laughs> so so I, think, I think 81 today is still young. Don't, wouldn't you agree with that? All right, so 81 today is young. Not for these guys, all right? Average lifespan in their day and time was 35. This guy's 81. He's the elder statesman and probably the most respected guy here. I mean, when he spoke, everybody was going to listen. So he decides he's going to try to save the day. He's going to try to keep this thing going, keep these guys together. Stands up, gives his longest speech of the convention. It's June 28th is when this happens. So June 28th, 1787, right here, he stands up and he says, Mr. President, the small progress we've made after four or five weeks, close attendance and continual reasons with each other, our different sentiments on almost every question is me thinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. And now, look, I'm a, I'm a country boy, I'll just tell you, from Dripping Springs, Texas, and I, and I have to try to make this stuff work for country boy language. I think what he just said is, we ain't smart enough. <laughs> he said, we don't have the brain power to solve these huge problems. Right He's saying even with this brain trust in this room, some of the greatest minds on the planet we cannot do this on our own, is what he was saying. And so then he goes on to explain what they had been debating about. He said, we indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we've been running about in search of it. We've gone back to ancient times, to models of government, and examined those different forms of those republics which now no longer exist. 
They even looked at Europe, but look at the response when they looked at Europe. I love this. He said, we, we viewed uh, modern states all around Europe, but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. Hmm, I just wish our leaders in Washington would still look to Europe and go, nah, that doesn't work for us. You know, there, there was a lot of wisdom in this room when they looked at Europe and said, we don't want to be like them, right? We want to be our, our own. Anyway, so he goes on to say, in this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? So Benjamin Franklin stands up and says to these guys after five weeks of debate, hey, time out. We're trying to solve the biggest problems in the world, and we haven't yet gone to God and said, would you please help us out? We can't do this on our own. And so then he gives them a history lesson. And you know, I, I think it's interesting that it, only 11 years into being a nation, we needed a history lesson already. I, I don't know about you. Now, most of you probably loved it. I hated history when I was in high school and college. Had no interest in what happened 200 years ago. I just, you know, I was a kid. I didn't, I, I'm kind of a type A person. My wife says I'm type triple A. I mean, I tend to go 100 miles an hour. So I'm thinking about tomorrow, the next year, 100 years from now. I didn't want to think about yesterday. We're out of time for today, folks. That was part two in a four-part series here on Wall Builders Live where we are sharing with you an entire chapter out of Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green. If you tuned in today for the first time, Constitution Alive is an entire course on the Constitution. We call it the Quick Start Guide to the Constitution because in about 12 hours, you get a crash course on the Constitution, the founding principles upon which the Constitution was built, and a complete teaching on how to apply the Constitution today how to hold public servants accountable, how to restore our constitutional principles and get back to those basics and once again become a strong constitutional republic. It's all in there on Constitutional Live with David Barton and Rick Green. You can find out more at constitutionallive.com. But we're sharing with you this week section two or if, chapter two, if you will, out of that program. It's called The Seeds of Liberty. And this is where we lay the foundation before we get into the specific clauses and phrases and, and different areas, articles and amendments of the Constitution. So we're sharing it with you here on Wall Builders Live. It's a four-part series. Today we got part two. It's going to take two more programs to share that entire chapter with you. So be sure and tune in tomorrow and the next day. And all four parts are going to be available right there on our website at wallbuilderslive.com. So don't miss tomorrow. We'll pick up right where we left off today with Constitution Live with David Barton and Rick Green. Appreciate you listening today to Wall Builders Live. We stand undivided.